welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Guys, I just want to encourage you with this. Like the Lord is moving everywhere. Like the Lord is moving everywhere. Like we're not, we're not striving and waiting for him to, we're not like praying and, and, and saying, God, send revival. Like no, the re- revival, hearts coming alive to Jesus is happening everywhere right now. Like the gospel has a power on it right now that, that, that's always been there, but there's an ear to hear right now. People have come to the end of themselves. People have come to the end of their plans. People have come to the end of trying to do in their own strength, and they've realized how helpless they are in their own strength. And there is an authority that comes when we speak the gospel right now. I'm just telling you, like, open your mouths and preach the gospel. Don't leave it to somebody else. Don't pray for God to send a laborer when you're standing there with the Spirit of God inside of you. Come on, like, you've been entrusted with the most amazing thing ever. You've you've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of reconciliation, that God is no longer counting their sins against them. So now it's our responsibility and and our pleasure and our joy and our, as, as believers, to beg them. Be reconciled to God. Come on, the thing that was keeping you from him has been completely defeated by Jesus. All that's left now is for you to accept what he paid for and to step into the reconciliation of the cross of Jesus. (coughs) And why wouldn't you? That's loud when I cough. I got to stop yelling during worship. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe not. Um. But yeah, listen, we, um, I, I, I preached specific, specifically on baptism last week and just went through all of the, really the beauty and the power of baptism. You know, that it's not just something you do because that's what happens after you give your life to Jesus. It's something you do in obedience, believing that if I am obedient to what he asked of me, that he will be faithful to what he promised. Where it says that we're lowered into death with Christ, so we also too may be raised and walk in newness of life. Not, not just the, okay, I did that so I can check the list, but no. And, and, and there's nothing like magic about the water. It's about us believing and putting our faith in his word and believing that if I do what he asked of me, that he will do what he promised. And, and about the idea that that's a point of faith that I can always look to and say, I went into the water and was lowered into death with Christ. I was raised to newness of life. I am no longer who I once was. The old passed away and the new has come. And so I never again have to live the way I did before that happened because I'm not that person anymore. And, and, and we were, I just, you know, I preached all about that and... And, uh, and afterwards, there was um, an, an older couple there in their, in their late 60s that, that grew up in, in Catholic church, and, and they were just kind of standing there after church, and someone from the church went and talked to them, and they said, we, we've, we've been in church our whole lives and never heard this. We've got to go home and listen to this over and over again because there's so much in there that we didn't know, and they want to get baptized. Like, come on, we're going to, like, like. When the, when, the, when the gospel of Jesus is preached, 
there will be some whose hearts just don't want to receive it. But man, it is life to people who are looking. It's life to people. They hear that, that it's possible to live this way that, that in deep inside I've known there was something more than what I was giving my life to. I knew there was something more than, than what I had been doing and spending my time in this cycle that I've been stuck in and feeling trapped and feeling ashamed and feeling guilty and condemnation and all that stuff. And then they hear the gospel of Jesus, how he came to set us free from that stuff. And not just forgive where we've been, but that grace comes to empower us to live like we've never lived before. Before. It's not that now I can do it and feel better about myself afterwards. It's that I can actually see who he made me to be so that my life becomes transformed and I'm not who I once was because that person died and the new has come. You don't have to live condemned. You don't have to live stuck. You, that, that's, that's not just the way you are. No, that's the way you were. That's the way that you were born into Adam, which is why every man must be born again. You don't have to live that way. I'm, I'm just telling you, like there's freedom. There is freedom in Jesus. There's freedom in actually being set free by him and loving who he's created you to be. I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open them. We're going to jump around from, from place to place because there's, there's so many scriptures that tie into this. But, but in John chapter 8, verse 34, we're going to start there because I, I want you to, I think sometimes people have the idea of, well, you know, this is just my thorn. And, and they're talking about something that is, not of God that's in their life and, and allowing permission for something that's less than Jesus in their life and then saying, and, and I always want to say to those people, well, then, then lay it on me. Like, come on, if, 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 you, if you have this thorn that God has given you that, that, that he said his grace is sufficient for and, and you can't get rid of, then, then don't settle for the thorn without contending for the revelation. Paul said, because of the magnitude of the revelation that was given to me, there also was given to me a thorn in my side, a messenger from Satan, lest I become prideful and boast. What he's saying is, I was entrusted with this thing that was so incredible that, that the Lord actually allowed the enemy to persecute me, to keep me relying on him so that I didn't become boastful and prideful. So, so if you've got a Paul's thorn, come on, you better have a Paul's revelation. Don't settle for one without the other. And here's the thing. That messenger from Satan that buffeted Paul never kept him from anything that God had for him to do. Because the empowering grace of God was sufficient. Come on. That's why Paul says we're without excuse. Why? He knows the power of God at work in his life. So he says, listen, there is no excuse. Why? Because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. There's nothing that comes against us that's greater than the one who's in us. So there is no excuse for not living the life that he called us into. But here's the thing. Why would you want to find an excuse to live less than free? Why would you want to find a reason that makes you feel justified living in a cycle or living less than free or saying, well, you know, I guess I'm just always going to mess up. No, listen, you don't have to. You can choose it. But you no longer have to. If you've been born again, a new creation and filled with the spirit of God, it says that, that, that when that happened, that you became 
dead to sin and alive to Christ. No longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. What does that mean? It means I have a new master now. It's an act of rebellion for me to live like I did when I had my old master, just like it was an act of rebellion for me to live towards God when I was under the, the, the mastery of sin. I could choose to, but it's not who I am anymore. It's not what, I'm, what I have to do. It's what I choose to do. Before I was born again, I could choose to do the right thing, but it was a choice and an effort that was in rebellion to the one who was my master. But now that I'm born again, a slave to righteousness, I can choose to live apart from that, but I have to actually turn my back on the one who is my master and go against everything inside of me to live in a way that's contrary to the lordship of Jesus. Come on, that's why it hurts when you do. That's why things that you used to do without thinking about, now they break your heart. Why? Because that's not who you are anymore. Come on and thank God for that. Don't ever get mad at conviction. Thank him for it. Because all it is is the spirit of God showing you that's not who you are. You can't be okay living that way anymore because that you died and the new you that's created in Christ is not meant to live that way. That should have no part in you. Come on, when we see conviction as God calling us higher into him rather than pointing out what a failure you are, we are, we'll welcome conviction and the repentance that it brings. Because he's not looking down as a disappointed father scolding his children. He's looking down brokenhearted, seeing us giving ourselves to less than what he has for us. Come on, it's Mother's Day. All, all the moms understand this. You can tell your children not to do something and they can willfully disobey you. And you may hate what they've done and you may hate the consequence it brings. But your heart towards your child is never in question. There's never less than love for them in your heart. They could do it a hundred times in a month. They do do it a hundred times in a month. <laughs> but your heart towards them, as a father, I know this, I see the consequence of their choice. I see that they, I look and I go, if, if they trusted me, if they knew how much I love them, if they knew that I want what's best for them, that I'm not trying to control them to keep them from something fun, that I'm not trying to, to ruin their life, that I'm not out to, to try to harm them. But if they, if they could just for a moment understand how much I love them and care about them and want the best for them. If I asked something of them or I told them not to or I told them to, they would want to do it because they understood that I've only done this for them because I love them. And that's how the father looks at you and I, his children. He's not disgusted by you. He's not offended by you. He's heartbroken for you. It's Jesus standing on a hill overlooking the city of Jerusalem. He didn't say, oh, Jerusalem, I can't stand you. I came here to love you and everything I did and all you want to do is kill me. I, 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 I don't even know why my father sent me here. I don't know why he would ever love you. You guys are the most unlovable people. All you do is kill the prophets. You kill the people that God sends to speak to you. What is wrong with you? None of that comes from his mouth. Because he's not thinking for himself. He's thinking for them. He looks down and says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who stoned the prophets, how I would have loved to have gathered you under my wings like a mother hen does with her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. His heart is broken for them because he sees, you guys aren't letting me be who I came to be for you. 
And that's not for my sake. It's for yours. It's not going to change me. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to go on a cross and hang there and bleed and die for you. I'm not going to change my mind about that because I haven't changed my mind about you. But I wish you would have changed your mind about me. That's the love he has. And so he looks out at the very people who have just done this to him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know. What do you mean they don't know? They weren't just wandering around with some two-by-fours, hammers, and nails, tripped and fell, and ended up crucifying Jesus. They knew exactly what they were doing. No, they didn't. They thought they knew. If they would have known who he was, they never would have done what they did. But because they didn't know who he was, they couldn't see who they were. I just want to tell you that, like... It's, it, it becomes really easy to forgive people when we understand that Jesus looked at us in the most willful situation we've ever been at and said, forgive them, they just don't know what they're doing. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? They purposely did this to me. They had no idea what they were doing. They don't even know who they are. How could they possibly see you for who you are? But there was one who knew exactly who you were. And saw exactly who you were, saw everything you'd ever do, and yet chose to give his life for you, and then said, follow me. Because he wasn't here for himself, he didn't become the product of man's decisions and actions towards him. If we're alive for ourselves, then we're only doing as good as what we're getting from people around us, or not getting done to us by the people around us. And so now... Every person that's involved in my life to any extent has a level of lordship. And the closer they are to me, the more lordship they have because the ones who are closest to me are the ones who can damage me the most when I'm alive for me. Because I have an expectation that's higher on them for them to meet. And if they don't meet it, it's not me brokenhearted for them, it's me brokenhearted by them. And now all of a sudden, I'm the product of everyone around me, all the while claiming to be the son of the one who came and lived inside of me, that I came forth from inside of. Don't get caught in that trap. Don't get stuck there. I, I, I do want to talk about that. Jesus was talking in John 8. He says, Jesus answered them, I have 15 minutes left. I have an hour left. <laughs> talk real fast. <laughs> Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. If the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that as we open it, it opens us. God, I thank you that we can come before you and know that your heart is for us to be transformed into your image long before we even knew that your image existed. God, that before we were a thought in either of our parents' mind, we were a thought in yours, that you knew us before you formed us. That we were no accident. That we weren't the product of a person, but we were 
brought forth by you. And so, God, I just thank you that as we, as we speak from your word and as we chew on it, as we think on it, God, that we would never lose the perspective of you being the good father. That we would never let the world's warped way of seeing things transfer to the way that we see you, but that our eye would remain clear and single as we look at you. I pray that your spirit would be moving in our hearts and in our minds, that we would be transformed even today more and more into the image of Jesus. I thank you, God, that we look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday, and we'll look more like him tomorrow than we do today because you are constantly transforming us from glory to glory into the image of Jesus by your spirit. Amen. And I was, so I was, I was thinking about this. I actually mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and I was talking about uh, uh, about being who God created you to be, and I was, I, 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 when I said it, I felt a weight on it, and I wanted to come back to it, and I, I, I started to speak a little bit about it last week, and when I was in in New Hampshire, but but I wanted to talk about the idea of like like one of the greatest things about being free in Christ is that I actually like who He's made me to be. Like I no longer hate who I am because I'm not who I was and I actually like who he's made me to be. That I don't hate myself I, and, and I actually appreciate and every day when I wake up I'm thankful for who I have become and who I know I am becoming as I follow Jesus. Like now all of a sudden I can actually be me rather than the idea of me that I think you want. And there's so much freedom in that. Now, and that doesn't give us license to be a jerk and say, well, that's just the way I am. Well, make sure that the just the way that you am is something that he died for you to become. Otherwise, that's just the way that you were. Because of Adam, not because of Jesus. You know, well, I'm just uh, filling the blank with your favorite, you know, descriptor of yourself. Well, if that is your defense against being love and being the way that God has called you to be, then I would get rid of that and stop calling myself that and start labeling myself by the way that he labels me. You're more than a number. You're more than your natural tendencies. You're more than the way that you have always been because the way that you always were is what brought you to where you were at and now that Christ has come the old has passed away and the new has come and and now all of a sudden I actually can be who he made me to be because I I wake up in the morning and I I like who he's made me to be. I like him. I, I, I like me. I love what he's done in my life and what he's doing in my life. I don't love everything that I do, but I can separate what I've done from who I am, and I realize that as I see things that I do that are apart from who I am, that's when repentance can actually come and do its work because I see that that's somewhere I have fallen short. I've missed the mark. Grace comes, 
<laughs> and falls on faith when I believe that I'm more than that and that I never have to be that way again. And now all of a sudden I believe that I can be different. And because I believe that I can be different, because he's transformed me, I actually live out of my belief. That's why what we believe is so important. If you believe you're always going to miss it, you're going to always miss it. And then you're going to be confirmed that you just are always going to miss it. And that cycle of self-condemnation continues. And, be, and, and all of a sudden now, your voice of I'm always going to mess up confirms with the voice of the enemy that says you're always going to mess up and by the mouths of two or three every word is established so now what's established in your life is not what he said about you and what he's called you into it's what the enemy has said about you and what your experience because of your belief has produced and now you're living by faith it's just not faith in the power of God to transform your life it's faith in your ability to mess it up because all of us are living by faith in something you're, you're, you've got faith in that chair that you're sitting in right now that it's not going to collapse and you're not going to get a spinal injury when it falls down straight onto the floor. You didn't even get down on the ground and check the bolts and make sure that it was sturdy. You just trusted it blindly. Some of us plopped into it. If that thing would have gave, you'd have went down hard. <coughs> but nobody was inspecting their chair to make sure it was worthy of putting their faith in. Yet we often don't inspect the thoughts and beliefs that we have to make sure that they're worthy putting our faith in and our life depends upon it and and so I was I was talking about the idea of not being conformed but being transformed Romans 12 2 says and do not be conformed to this world he talks about presenting your bodies as living sacrifices before the Lord that this is your spiritual act of worship worship is not what happens when we come into a room and sing that is a part of worship but worship is actually presenting myself a living sacrifice that means god i lay my life down for you we come in here and we sing and we worship and we lay our lives down for jesus and we express our gratitude and it is amazing and beautiful but if your act of worship is confined to a room or a place or an act then you're missing out on the daily giving yourself to him and laying your life down for him and so he says that, and he says, and do not be conformed to this world. He ties those together. Like, if I'm presenting myself before the Lord as my life is yours, it's going to lead to this. And he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Everybody's wondering what the will of God is. Why don't we actually surrender our lives to him and not be conformed to the pressure of the world around us, but actually be transformed by the word of God in us and the spirit of God in us. And then our lives will actually show what the will of God is. I just wish I knew what God's will is. I, I promise you, if you yield yourself to him and you actually lay your life down for him and allow the spirit of God to transform you, your life will prove what the will of God was for your life. Some people get so confused. Well, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. Well, start here. And you may find that when you start there, the next step becomes revealed, that he's not going to lead you into the, the, the next thing until we've done the first thing. So many of us want like the, the top of the staircase, but we're standing at the bottom going, I just wish I knew it was at the top of the stairs. Well, why don't you start climbing? And you may find that as you keep going, things become clearer, and all of a sudden you get to this place where you can see what you couldn't see from the bottom. But it, you didn't see it because you stood at the bottom wanting to see it. You saw it because you began to take the steps that were in front of you. 
Come on, for young people, like, like start there. Lay your life down for him and give your life to Jesus and just say, listen, I surrender my life, my dreams, my hopes, all those things. I'm not saying that none of those things were from you. I'm just saying I'm not holding on to them. I'm holding on to you. And if what you have for me lines up with what I thought, awesome. But if you have something different, I don't want to be successful about things you never called me to. I don't want to waste my life doing something that I wasn't created for, no matter how successful I may look. But that word there, conformed, is suske matizo. Yeah, that's a mouthful, right? It means to fashion alike to the same pattern or to fashion self after. It says, don't be fashioned alike, fashioned similarly, or fashion yourself after the world. But be transformed, be Metamorphizo, which is where we get metamorphosis from, which means actually be changed from something that was to something that is. And, and, and I was I actually used this example last week when I was when I was teaching. But if you take clay, I, I do pottery, right? And 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 sometimes I, I don't use them, but there's people out there that use molds. And and if you take a lump of clay and you press it, pressure it into the mold. Remember Jesus talking to his disciples? He said, in this world you will face, our, our, our dictionary says, I mean, our, our Bible says trial, trouble, all these different things. But that word there 